You're listening to You've Been Hanged, hosted by Hank Griffin, writer, man of faith, Parkinson's warrior, traveling man, and storyteller. Wonderful stories, home cooking, thoughtful lessons, and candor about life with Parkinson's are his to share. Relax for the next several minutes with your friend, neighbor, and brother who loves you. Good community is where you build it. The day was hot. Such was then and continues now to generally be the case in beautiful East Texas. That heat, y'all, oh, there are many things I miss about home. That heat is not among them. Earlier in the day, Mama called, Why don't y'all come to my house for Sunday supper, she asked. I'm going to fix fried chicken, mashed potatoes, gravy, salad, and make a chocolate cake. At that time in my life, Mama's fried chicken was my very favorite food, and I have always enjoyed her good chocolate cake. Can't wait, I said. I hung up the phone, then looked at it, marveling at the progress of technology. When I was a boy, the phone in our home, a modern home in its time, was hardwired and permanently mounted to the wall in the kitchen. Our telephone was rotary dial, green, and was equipped with a standard three-foot cord. Dub, my dad, had no interest in one of those fancy 20-foot affairs that might encourage people to get a little too comfortable and lay about the den while talking on the phone. Our phone was a party line. Now, don't be fooled by that. Despite the name, using the phone was not a party. The phone line was shared between four families. When one wished to make a telephone call, it was impolite to just pick up the receiver and start dialing. First, one had to pick up the receiver and listen to make sure someone else was not already having a conversation. If no one was using the line, then a phone call could be made. If someone was already using the line, a polite person would refrain from interrupting the ongoing conversation and return the receiver to its place. I say a polite person because all too often people were impolite. It was too common for nosy neighbors to pick up the receiver, listen to see if a conversation was ongoing, then Instead of returning the receiver to its cradle, place the palm of their hand over the microphone and settle in for a listen. I remember a cousin of mine, Gary. He was a little older than I was. Well, quite a bit older than I was. He just married his second wife. She was a pretty sort of girl, not a knockout by any stretch of the imagination, but pretty. It helped that she was young. Sadly, she'd not lived out in the country before. Party lines were new to her, as was apparently common courtesy. The bride of my cousin loved to eavesdrop on other people's telephone conversations and had no problem interrupting others who were using the telephone to announce that she had an important phone call to make and demand the line be made available to her only later to be overheard engaged in a conversation that was less urgent than she'd led her neighbors to believe. We all loved Gary. No one particularly cared for his wife. That said, what are you going to do? 
I asked Dub about it once when we were working on his old 64 model pickup. Dub dipped snuff. He had a gap in his two front upper teeth through which he could and often did launch a shocking stream of tobacco juice and spit as far as 15 feet with astonishing accuracy. In doing so, a particular sound effect was produced. It was sort of a, a squinch, though that description is inadequate. After I asked about Cousin Gary's young new wife, he chuckled, spit, then said, Gary didn't marry her for telephone manners. Now, what does that mean? I asked. You'll understand one day, my father assured me. From that wall-mounted rotary dial telephone, We'd improved over the years to a phone that was lightweight, rested on top of the glass table next to the couch, had caller ID, a long cord from the back of the phone to the wall, another long cord from the phone to the handset, and most happily was not a shared party line. The kids will be pleased to see Grandma, I thought. Then, ruefully, hopefully she won't send them home with another baby chicken or, oh, Heaven help me, something worse. I thought of all this as I stood chopping vegetables, lettuce, tomato, onions, and jalapenos for cheeseburgers. The seemingly endless cheeseburgers that had been cooking on the grill continued to cook there, and if the line of people, as well as the ongoing arrival of pickup trucks, sedans, vans, and motorcycles bringing more people were any indicator, would continue to cook there for some hours more. In those days, I was a new member of Beautiful Masonic Lodge Number 1. Our lodge, in concert with the several other lodges in that region, worked diligently and in concert with the local shrine center to ensure the success of a regular blood drive that was organized to provide blood to be used at the Shriners Hospital for Children across the state line in Shreveport, Louisiana. Anyone who donated blood was fed and fed well. Hamburgers, cheeseburgers, hot dogs, chili dogs, heck for that matter, chili cheeseburgers, with all the trimmings, chips, cookies, sweet iced tea, soda waters, and more, all provided at no more cost than a pint of blood to benefit the kids in the Shriners Hospital down the road. A lodge member in the area provided the use of his business's parking lot to accommodate everyone. The American Red Cross came to run the blood drive in a blood mobile that was the size of a big Greyhound bus that was custom-made for the purpose. Outside the blood mobile, we had a huge grill mounted on wheels. It was a hoss and had to be towed behind a pickup truck. We used it to prepare the food, large Coolers full of meat, cheese, and vegetables were delivered in the bed of pickups. There was one old man, he was as old as the hills, who worked hard every time we held the blood drive to cook the meat. He was there, rain, shine, ice, or heat, working that grill. His face and arms shone with sweat as he worked hard. I said he was an old man, and he was, easily in his late seventies, perhaps his early 80s. Nevertheless, he was there like clockwork. Occasionally, some younger mason would try to relieve their older brother of his labor, only to be chased away from the grill, maybe with 
a cheeseburger and a soda water for his trouble, or maybe with a burn from that wickedly hot spatula. It largely depended on the spirit in which they made their approach. That elderly brother was determined to work, and my goodness, he worked so hard. His language was coarse. His manners were rough. Yet his example of working hard for the benefit of others was one that could only be admired. For several Sundays, I'd mentioned the blood drive at church in our Sunday school and elders' quarrel meetings. I can't tell you the pleasure it gave me when members of my worship community began showing up to donate blood. My heart swelled as my cup of joy ran over. It was a beautiful intersection of my faith and fraternity, perhaps the first of many. It was a beautiful intersection of my faith and fraternity, perhaps the first of many that have occurred in the last almost 25 years. I love these wonderful intersections of the two most important parts of my greater community. Chopping onions and tomatoes, my thoughts wondered. I thought again of my late father, Dub. We hunted and fished together very often. Dub worked hard in the coal mines. When not working at the mine, he worked, which is to say, we worked hard in other ways. My dad was firmly convinced that tired boys are good boys. In my experience, he was right. When not at the mine, he insisted, when we were old enough to do so, that we accompany him to do whatever work there was to be done. When the work was finished, we played hard, too. Often that was done in the form of hunting or fishing. Dub was diagnosed with polio when he was still just a little feller, four, maybe five. The doctor told Granny if you want him to be able to walk, you need to make him walk every day and do not coddle him. Granny took the doctor's advice seriously. Dub was made to walk all over and rarely carried. My father continued on with this habit into his adulthood. He walked far and fast or ran far and fast almost daily. When we hunted or fished, we only drove to the edge of the wilderness from there we walked. We walked for hours. Dub wanted to see the depths of the wild while there was still a while to see the depths of, and my goodness, he certainly did, and thanks to him, so did I. We hunted deer, squirrel, dove, and quail. This, in addition to the livestock we raised, my father fed us like kings, though I didn't know it until after his too early and untimely death. When we hunted squirrel, we put up what we killed in the freezer. In October of each year, Dub and Mama put on a big party for all their friends and our family. It was a huge affair. Mama had one of those big cast iron rendering pots, the kind most people think of when they think of a witch's pot. It was in that pot they made enough squirrel stew to feed the whole countryside. My father observed to me, Good community isn't where you find it. Good community is where you build it. He was right. Good and worthwhile community is definitely where you build it. Never settle for anything less. I wiped tears from my eyes and sweat from my face as I chopped onions in the heat while thinking of my father. 
Hank, I need more onions for the burgers and chili dogs, my elderly brother called from the grill. Yes, sir, I answered. To my delight, my very real delight, my state president and his wife walked from their truck to the blood drive. When they saw me, their faces lit with a happiness that matched my own. We shook hands as I said, thank y'all for coming. We wanted to see this blood drive for ourselves, he said. This is quite a spectacle, his wife said. The elderly mason at the grill chimed in. I hope you folks are hungry. You can eat now or after you donate blood. Don't worry. We aren't going anywhere until everyone who wants to eat gets to eat. Do y'all feed everyone who comes every time you hold a blood drive? My friend asked. We do, I said. That must be very expensive, his wife observed. My elderly brother at the grill said, It is. But if people are willing to come give the gift of life for the sake of the kids at the Shriners Hospital, we're determined to feed them. This is a very good work, the state president said. My face reddened from his praise, and I returned to my duties chopping vegetables after showing my friends where to sign in. It really was a lovely intersection of my faith and fraternity and a memory that I treasure. Again, I thought of Dub, who repeated from across the years, Good community isn't where you find it. Good community is where you build it. It is an important lesson, one that I'm grateful to have learned early. I feel bad for people who don't understand that, who never go out to actively work and build worthwhile, good community, who don't know the value of participating in the creation of something greater than themselves. I have sympathy, too, for those whose vision is so narrow that they only see the value of a single edifice, failing to see the beauty of the whole skyline. Life has taught me that in God, family, faith, and fraternity is where I'm best able to find the right balance. Less is just too little. More, well, that may be for men better able to spread themselves more thinly than I can. Good community? is not where you find it. Good community is where you build it. Much love, Hank. You've been hanked. Thanks for listening to You've Been Hanked. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. It's easy and really makes a difference. Please help Hank help others by increasing the reach of You've Been Hanked.